0: And welcome to a new edition of Lily, High on Life. And our very special guest today, and he is amazingly special, is Andrew Breckler. Andrew, welcome to Lily, High on Life. Hi,
1: Lily, it's great to be here.
0: Thank you. Now, Andrew has an amazing journey. He uh, started off life in Perth and his uh, grandparents go back to the old country, to Russia, and um, we're gonna hear about some of the wonderful things that he's doing as he made the transition from Perth to Melbourne, and also he's semi-retired, I wouldn't call him retired, but um, what he's doing now because he's really involved with making a difference in the world. Andrew, welcome, and tell us a little bit about what you're doing these days. Uh,
1: Lily, thanks very much, it's great to be here. So yes, uh, I had worked uh, in the family business for 35 years and um, have now moved uh, on to something different. Um, And I'm doing a couple of things at the moment. Um, At the start of COVID, um, I saw the opportunity um, to make PPE in Australia, personal protective equipment. Um, We were importing, the country was importing tens of millions of masks and other uh, protective equipment from places like China and other parts of the world and uh, it occurred to me that uh, perhaps there would be an opportunity to bring some manufacturing back to Australia and do it here. Um, none the least, the quality was not assured coming out of some of these countries and uh, there was all sorts of problems. So, and I knew that if we set up, um, and my background in footwear retail, wholesale, manufacturing, put me in good stead to understand the manufacturing process. So, I um, I got together with a, a, a good friend, and we set up uh, Aspen Medical Manufacturing, uh, which specialises in making masks and other PPE type uh, products, and that's. That's primarily what I'm doing.
0: Um, three ply masks.
1: That's we do. We do what three ply masks, which is what commonly known as surgical masks, those flat ones with yeah. the ear loops. Um, but we also make the high quality medical grade uh, N95s. In Australia, they're known as P2s. So um, primarily our market is um, hospital type groups, and uh, although with COVID, obviously the the general public will. Has been buying them as well, but the main the main thing was how could we bring manufacturing back to Australia? How could how could the, you know the, this was a this was an opportunity to um, support local industry?
0: Were you able to compete in terms of pricing?
1: So it turns out that the actual final cost of a mask doesn't involve a lot of labour. So you can manufacture in australia pretty much anything but if there's a high labor content you you will have to compete with the low cost countries like china and india and the like and that's when it becomes difficult and so, is it
0: branded aspen medical masks
1: yes yeah they're, they're um, and they're they're highly regarded in the marketplace and um but you know when we set up originally COVID was always going to be we, we realized that was not going to be forever and so the business is essentially set up for medical um, hospital type groups so when COVID drops off um, we'll continue to supply the Australian medical made
0: uh, in Australia made
1: in Australia um, the raw materials are largely Australian made uh, what we can't get in Australia we have to import obviously uh, but um, all the testing is done with in Australian laboratories, that, you know, they're top quality.
0: And it's um, your customers, is it retail or government or a bit of both?
1: A little bit of everything. So um, clearly um, the general public, because of COVID, have been interested. So we've had a market there that will dwindle over the forthcoming months as COVID sort of dissipates a bit but uh, we've been supplying schools we've been supplying hospitals we've supplied the national. and you're still working
0: fully at full capacity or uh
1: yes yeah the factories are working three shifts a day uh, five days a week um, right at the very start we were actually going seven days a week um but we don't need to do that anymore we've um, changed the mix a bit the high quality in 95 style. So I right. had
0: my own little foray before you started into PPE before you started um, manufacturing in Australia and it was really interesting in so many respects dealing with government dealing with so many other things.
1: It's manufacturing in Australia is not easy uh, but the, the benefit that we have in this country is we have super smart people. the education, um, you can really get great quality. Uh, employees and um, and and have a nice sort of environment and um, mm-hmm. and there is people our customers would prefer Australian made so long as the price is in you know in, in within you know curly, it's got to be it can't be way over the top um, but if you're relatively competitive people will go Australian every time
0: and have you looked at exporting as well? So we
1: do. So as part of our. Um, commitment to community we do we've been supplying the Pacific Islands um, Fiji Papua New Guinea um, and you know though they're there that's more a um, a service to community side of things that we're doing Um, and we've been working with the local commissions to you know to get we've been flying um, product into Fiji for example and um, the Fiji High Commission has uh, paid for the flights, but we've provided the goods. So, you know, it's, um, uh, we're a big country and um, the, you do need to help out in these uh, smaller areas. So we also have, um, um, through Aspen Medical, my uh, partner, um, Glenn Keyes, who runs Aspen Medical, the global health network, he's got some great contacts um, internationally and so we've leveraged off that and we're supplying in other countries like Malaysia, Indonesia and and the United States.
0: Was Glenn a friend, a long time friend or a business associate or?
1: Both, but he's been a long time friend before we were business associates. Uh, So we've known, Glenn's actually lives in uh, Canberra, um, but uh, travels a lot and we catch up a lot. Um, We've been good mates for uh, near on 20 years
0: I love those old friendships yeah have you guys um, so are you, you're, are you involved in any of Aspen Medical or just Aspen Medical Manufacturing
1: so that's a great question um, uh, officially no um, I'm I, I sort of help Glenn we bounce ideas off each other um, but uh, no Aspen Medical is a partnership with Glenn and myself okay. Aspen Medical Manufacturing rather is a partnership um, and and basically we will do all the manufacturing.
0: So the reason I asked the question is because I had a little look at their website and it blew my mind. I lived in America, I was involved in some pretty amazing companies and areas and stuff like that, but Aspen Medical really blew my mind. I think it's aspenmedical.com or That's something. That's right.
1: They're they're a global health network started in Australia. Um, head office is in Canberra. Um, Glenn is a he's an AO. He's an absolute gentleman, and um, he's a, a relatively um, under the radar sort of guy. Just does good. In the community and his business is enormous so for me to be able to work with him was an absolute bonus yeah and you know and, and um, we bounce things off each Job other and, and so one terrific. of
0: the things that I mean I people who have listened know that I lived in um, America for 26 yes. years and one of the wonderful things about coming back to Australia is that a lot of my friends have done the most amazing global things, business and otherwise, from Australia. They never had to move, they never had to live anywhere else, but they've created these businesses. And um, when I say I was blown away by Aspen Medical, it's the enormity and scope because they have hospital ships. They work with governments. Yes. They wo- I mean, the, it's worth checking out their website. It, and really, they only started in 2003. That's about right. The, the, they are an
1: incredible organisation. And um, air and medical evacuation, uh, oil and gas, they, they, work in, um, they work in places that other people just don't go. So, for example, um, the Australian government called on Aspen for the Australian response to Ebola, and it was actually Aspen that led the team of Americans and British, all led by the Aspen team, to deal with Ebola in Africa. And um, that was the Australian um, contribution. And Aspen does that. Uh, they build mobile hospitals. Uh, it's a huge organisation. And um, for myself to be involved, even in a small capacity, has been terrific.
0: So that was my next question. What, I mean, I, what is it like to be involved with some, with an organisation that really does make such a huge difference around the world? And from what you were saying, sorry, I'm just going to stretch it a bit, but it sounds like Glenn, as you were saying, is a humble guy, is yeah. a good guy. Yeah. And I got that from you from our first conversation on the phone. I thought, my God, this guy's a real mensch. I like him and I haven't met him yet. So it's that kind of menschlichkeit, those, that kind of... What's it like knowing the, the real difference that you're making to the world?
1: Yeah, look, Lily, I, I'll tell you something. Um, I, the biggest thing that I would say that I have always tried to do in the world is, first of all, raise lovely children grounded children.
0: How old are your kids now? So my
1: oldest, Kate, is getting married in uh, January. She's 28.
0: Muscle talk, muscle and talk. Thank
1: you very much. And she's marrying a lovely Jewish boy, Noah Green. Um, and uh, so that's very exciting for all of us. And I have twins, a boy and a girl, Lauren and James, uh, and they're 25. Um, and And I can tell you my mission in life was to try to set an example for them, and, and I'll, I'll just touch on why. And and before I move off, I'll, I'll also have to say, my wife is my rock. So um, that's been. Terrific.
0: How old were you when you met and married?
1: Uh, I met Lisa in Melbourne when I was twenty-six. I'd moved from Perth to Melbourne, and that, that's another story we might touch on, but... Uh,
0: Definitely and, going there,
1: yep, but... And uh, she'd come from New Zealand, so I met her... Um, so we were both relatively new to Melbourne. I met her here, we, we got married, um, had our first... had Kate when uh, I turned 30. And um, we... I think the thing was, um, from my personal background. My father died when I was 18. He was only 46. And he was my hero. And even even at 18, I look now, you know, I look back all those years and he was always my inspiration and he was a remarkable man. And I always thought, uh, it was always a challenge for me in my mind that I had to live up to his expectations. And that was what I set myself that and he was a he was a doer he was a humble man he he was very successful um, but he was a he was a doer in the community and not just the Jewish community which was in itself fantastic but uh, the wider community and I always felt that's something that I want to be able to contribute and I wanted to impart that to my kids as well (coughs) excuse me and um, so that you know, that was my mission in life, and um, yeah, I think we're uh, we're heading in the right direction. So
0: you always knew that you were going to get married and have kids, and when you met Lisa, how many dates before you realised this was the one? One. Yeah. I've always believed that. <laughs> I'm still looking for my one. I haven't been married, but I've believed you'll know.
1: I think you do. I, I think you do. It was. Um, so, yeah, no, that was, um, you know, that sort of magic. And um, we went on a few dates. and uh, But but I, I knew. I'm not sure if she'd say the same. <laughs> but,
0: I won't uh, ask. That no, no, she's good. not here, so I'll just say, yeah, she said the same. <laughs> Andrew, um, that was at 18, which is quietly young to lose your dad. Mm. How did that change your world, not just your life?
1: It was, um, it was... Shocking, and um, I think it's impacted me my entire life. Um, and there comes a point where you have to sort of say, okay, get up, move on, and uh, and and make the best of everything. I mean, I uh, I was actually in Israel at the time, and um, I was in hiking in the desert. There was no mobile phones, of course, and um, my auntie lived in Israel, dad's sister and uh, they had to get in the car and come and find me. I was on a like a, a, a tour and um, they had to come and find me, you know, in the desert, in the Negev somewhere and uh, to tell me the sad, tragic news. Um, and uh, anyway, I came back to Australia. Was it
0: illness or an accident? Uh,
1: he had a massive heart attack and um, wow. died pretty instantly. Such a young age. Yeah, very young and he yeah, was uh, totally unexpected, he was, uh, yeah. So a shock to everyone and he was quite involved in the Jewish community with with every organization he was uh, yeah it was it was a trap you know terrible but and and, yes so I I was just at university I was doing um, commerce at uni at the time and all I wanted to do was finish as quickly as I could and get into business I always knew what I wanted to do. I always knew I wanted to be in the family business. I was blessed uh, with a wonderful childhood and and I knew from the age of 10 that, you wanted that I wanted to, do to be in the, in the shoe business.
0: Um, Andrew, if you don't mind, before we move away from yes. that, because I just want to ask you, because not a lot of people understand or know, as I'm sure you had no idea, how to deal with the news that your father had died when you, especially when you're so far away, could you, would you mind just sharing with us a little bit about what that waiting to even get on the plane and then flying back to Melbourne was was like for you?
1: Um, so um, my best friend um, Paul Rater, who lives in Melbourne, uh, was uh, with me in the desert. And, uh, you know, when when you hear the news, I, I wasn't sure the first time they told me whether they were talking about my grandfather or my father. Um, and so it was just all very hard as a young boy to take in because you're talking about not only your dad, but he was your hero. He was, your, he was everything. The world at, the to- at that time revolved around him. He was such a larger-than-life character. So, um, you know, I came back there was no ch- choice I had no choice but to step up my you know we had this family business that uh, dad was the center of um, my two brothers and myself we all had to um, So step you said up.
0: This, those first seven days of shiva are really brilliant because yes. they make you focus
1: they make look that it, I've spoken about this on a number of occasions to different people every religion has their version of Shiva, whether it's awake, whether it's um, whatever it is, the actual grieving process is so important to go through. It was difficult for me because I missed my dad's funeral because by the time they found me and the time I got on a plane and came back, you know, it was it took me three or four days before I actually got back to Australia. So they had the funeral and I wasn't there and that was, that took quite a while to come to grips with. Um, but then I didn't have, I had to move on. I had, my mum was only 42 um, and she needed support and we had to, you know, we couldn't be a burden on her. That's what we all, that's what my brothers and I felt. Um, and uh, so we all had to sort of step up and move on. And um,
0: So after, after you'd had a chance to process it a little bit, so after six months or 12 months, it doesn't get easier. No. But how do you keep getting up every day and doing what you know you've got to do?
1: I think that's it. I think you, look, at some point in time everybody goes through some sort of tragedy. Um, I, I think you, and even today when I think about my dad, what happens is over the years, when you look back and you think about your dad, you only remember good times and and you, you look back with an incredible fondness, you're sad because he's not around, but you look back with fondness, and you and I, you know, from my point of view, I, I look at it and I try to take as much out of it as all. And the remember
0: stuff. the good times so that I you feel better. Good, I only remember the good. I only
1: remember the good times.
0: And you know. at the time when you came back, did both your brothers were they handling it the same way, or did they have different reactions? I think
1: you know we were very close. We are very close, and so and mum. We were all, we were, you know, it felt like family, you know, we were all supported each other. And we were so busy as well. We, we all had many things that we were involved in, whether it was sport, uni, the business, mum, you know, we were busy. So uh, there wasn't time to wallow. Um, yeah.
0: it's, um, and so, you just forced yourself to go on. Yeah. And when your kids were born, I mean, that's a real time. Um, oh, that, that's a uh,
1: very special uh, time and they, they were such a joy. We had, um, you know, of course, Kate, our oldest, was um, our first and um, uh, when she came along it was uh, changes your life. Not. I won't say for the better, it is, it's, <laughs> but just different and wonderful. And then of course we were blessed with twins, which was totally unexpected. And surprisingly, my younger brother, Peter, he also has twins um and all Around the kids the same time uh they he, peter's twins uh, molly and joel are about eight months older than ours our twins and so and they're they're absolutely best of friends which is fantastic so um yeah they they it's really nice um how well they all get on and um yeah, it's a lovely family relationship, and of course Peter also moved over from Perth to Melbourne, so we're very close. My other brother Danny, his he and his family still uh, live in Perth, and so does my mum. Um, and of course during COVID, we've uh, it's been a bit tough to catch up with each other for the last couple of years, but we're a very close family and. Um,
0: Thank God for FaceTime and all this other technology. Absolutely, and so um, it's so the way. Because things, there are ups and downs in everybody's life all the time. And you are obviously focus on the blessings, which is really the best way to go through life. Because it's your attitude more than anything else is what really makes your life better or worse. You decide what you're going to focus on.
1: Exactly. I think you can choose to wake up and... Um... Say today, I'm going to do something positive. I'm going to make a difference, and and try and make. Uh make the most of the day or you can look back at uh, your woes and um, do the opposite and uh, that has never been my way I've always tried to you know no matter what I've always tried to say what well, what can we do today what's uh, what's
0: the and point what makes of- it special so from the age of 10 you knew that you were going to go into the family business just describe a little bit of the background how you're uh, grandparents came over yes. from Russia and how they started the business. Look, at
1: the, uh, it's, a, it's a great story and there have been a couple of books written about it, maybe just my family's read them, but uh, my great-grandfather left Russia um, in the late 1800s um, and met my great-grandmother, her name was Fanny Maisel. Um, he met her in uh, Perth they got married. They he was a bootmaker and a saddlery guy. So he worked with leather. He set up a little te- uh, leather shop and boot repair shop. And um, they had four children. And unfortunately, he died young. And it left uh, Fanny um, with four mouths to feed. And she didn't know anything about a boot repairing or saddles or leather. Um, and she had this little shop in Fremantle and she converted it into a shoe shop and which was unusual I mean I don't think women voted in those days, let alone ran businesses it was she was quite a um, clever strong lady uh, turned this shop into what was then called dainty walk and we've got some wonderful pictures of the shops and gorgeous. Uh, the yeah the, the, the shoes the boots they were they were fantastic and she turned it into, she was a very, she had great foresight. She turned it uh, into a wonderful business and um, uh, her, her family, her kids, particularly the two boys came into the business and grew it and bought properties along the way. And um, it was a very solid business when my father finally um, took the reins and dad was a dynamo in the business. And um, when he passed away, um and and the three boys effectively uh, with with other family members uh, took on the management of the business. Um, it was it was a terrific business. It was Perth based, uh, there were very few other footwear operators in Perth. So so we were able to make mistakes in business, and we made plenty. But nobody, none of our competitors were around to sort of hammer us to the, the, the wall, you know, we, we, we were free to make mistakes. And, can and
0: you think of some of those mistakes just because people think you've got to be perfect, people think oh, you can yeah. never make any mistakes? Yeah. Could you, can oh, you... We made
1: lots of mistakes, but, you know, we bought the wrong shoes. We opened up in locations that were no good. Um, you know, those, those sorts of everyday business decisions. Um, I, I remember we once bought some, um, some shoes from India, bought a container of shoes, and when, they, when it arrived, the container was empty. Um, it was, uh, you know, the, the, the bloke on the dock in India, <laughs> it was paid more than we were paying him, obviously.
0: And how did you deal with that uh, together or individually?
1: Uh, I think, no, look, it wasn't, none of it was terminal. It was, it, was, it was those sort of business mistakes that you learn from, and you chalk it up as good business learnings. And, um, you, you know, it's, they're the sort of things you can't teach. Um, that you can you can listen and everything but you'll make them and I think it's important people understand making a mistake is is not a bad thing necessarily Um, and in Australia sometimes Australians have an attitude you know we've we've got this sort of um, approach a lot of people take this approach that if you fail if you even if you go bankrupt that it's a disaster and you're tainted with this brush whereas you know take Israel for example they don't reckon you've succeeded until you've gone bankrupt a few times. You know, it's, it's really a, a rite of passage. Um, and if you're not trying these things, you know, and on the edge, and even uh, some of the absolute um, well-known, uh, you know, the Richard Branson story with Virgin mm-hmm. and everything. I mean, he, he, was, he almost went broke so many times. I think it's a learning curve and um, work hard, take risks, And I think if you've got a bit of luck on your side, you'll do all right. Mm. And we certainly, we certainly um, worked hard. Um, It was a passion. We loved it. And I love it.
0: Do you, in any way, shape, or form, even identify with a lot of people who. When they make a mistake, they can't get it out of their mind. When they go to sleep, they think about it. It absolutely dogs them. Has that ever happened with anything, or that's just not who you are? It's not
1: me. It's not me. It's never been me, and I'm sort of grateful so it's, it's just not me. Stop it. If you're one of these people... And I would tell your <laughs> listeners the same thing. It's uh, you, There's no point in carrying baggage. Move on recognize it in the moment, deal with it, and then tomorrow's another day.
0: And then you also went through a stage where you really had to change the business because the model itself was not working as, I guess, more competitors came into the market
1: absolutely we we were blessed with uh, the remoteness of Western Australia and then as the world shrank and people started our competitors started coming we realized that uh, if we didn't if we just sat um, our market would be eroded uh, and so we made the decision to expand ourselves uh, which we which was basically the catalyst for me moving to the eastern states um, I came over to set up a business on the east coast, and um, and um, the birds are tweeting. Uh, in the background. So I, okay. I, I, it's all right. I, I, um, I moved to, to Melbourne to we we bought a couple of shoe businesses um, that were um, available, and uh, I came over to Melbourne to integrate them into our family business course there wasn't all the technology and the like in mm. those days so it was, it was really starting from scratch over here but we obviously had a lot of um, background knowledge on what to do and uh, they were fun times. I was so young. that
0: original decision to expand into other states, um, was that a difficult decision or just something, it was somebody ne- brought it up and it ma- made sense?
1: It was necessity we looked uh, we always used to sit down we looked at the long-term future of the business a wonderful business Um, and we looked and we said if we don't pivot it won't be a wonderful business we had to expand and there was there's an old saying i don't know how much it applies today but in those days grow or die was a business sort of mantra and and we sort of felt that was definitely applicable to us Um, and so the Betts shoe business expanded into the eastern states, and today it represents 85% of the actual business is up the east coast, which represents the the population, so...
0: Was it, it, uh, when I use terms like easy, uh, there's a lot involved, but (laughs) to actually bring on more stores, because that is not just a business decision but with in terms of stock and everything but then you've also got locations and workers and
1: and the market was slightly different as well uh, melbourne's a little bit more sophisticated than perth perth and, and queensland for example a bit more laid back a bit more summery conditions melbourne was much more formal and um,
0: sophisticated type so of, different styles there was different,
1: different styles um, and also um in perth you know i i pick up the phone if I wanted something done, albeit I was a relatively young man, I'd pick up the phone, it's Andrew from Betts. Um, And people go, oh yes, no problems, this, that, and the other, things would happen. I got to Melbourne, the first time I picked up the phone to talk to someone, I said, it's Andrew from Betts. And they said, oh, what are you from the TAB? Uh, (laughs) We were unknown, so nobody was doing us any favours. And and also, uh, I think there was a certain confidence, Uh, that I had that coming over that was you know I thought it would be a lot easier than what it was I had this unwarranted confidence and when I got here uh, what I thought would take a year to do to integrate this business that we would bought into our business took a lot longer and it was a lot harder and guess what our competitors weren't just lying down either you know they were going hammer and tong at us they were full boy and and you know i thought i would be here for a year and then i'd go back to perth setting this up and it uh so two things happened one is it wasn't so easy it was a challenge the other thing was i met lisa and i suppose the third thing was i actually started loving working and growing what was a fledgling business on the east coast so the, my decision not to go back to Perth basically was threefold. So, uh, but um, because I know Lisa will be listening to this, I will say it was mainly because of Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> you are a smart husband. <laughs> and let me
0: tell you, when I came back to Australia, <clears throat> one of the wonderful things was that in the US, a majority of my friends had been divorced and were on their second or third divorces. My Australian friends... Are still not only married but now that the kids have left happier than ever together fantastic. so <laughs>
1: fantastic well I've got my, I'm, I'm hoping that'll be us so it is so far we still uh, we still enjoy each other's company a lot and and love it so. and that's
0: the most important thing yeah, in being yeah. happy to have a, somebody that you you know you can is always there for you it's not it's not a relationship. Isn't fifty-fifty. It's a hundred-a hundred. Well, I think
1: I said earlier, um, Lisa's my rock. So yeah, um, and and we're we're blessed with a lovely family, and her extended family uh, is just uh, really we love them very much and get on. And it's it's you know I mean you know, we have our moments, but it's uh, you know, absolutely.
0: That's terrific, so. so let me just go back for a minute. Um, what did was your confidence undermined? Or did it do, what did it do to yeah, you yeah, when, you, when, the, when uh, it was harder?
1: Yeah, great question. Lily, I, I'm not undermined. I think, uh, I, I suppose, I don't want to use the word that I was arrogant, but I, I had this air of confidence that uh, got knocked around a bit and that just was a fantastic challenge. I look back now and I think, oh, how good was that? It wasn't so easy. You actually had to work hard. And uh, the, I think the thing that I learned the most there was that the people that I worked with had an amazing talent that I was um, that I was fortunate enough to allow them to to flourish. you know I encouraged them and and there the, the so many things came out that they were able to do that I'd never dreamed of um, that was all beneficial. And so working with good people and and that's I was lucky enough we got good
0: people around us. and the and the truth of that is that, Um, you know, being cocky and being overconfident and all of that, you obviously had a very good sense of self and who you were and a good base because you didn't feel that you lost anything when when you allowed other people to help and guide you. You didn't feel it undermined you as a person.
1: I think it's a good... um personal trait and I think it's a good business trait um if you can um have an environment where people feel confident um contributing and there's no they're not being worried they're not worried about uh blowback um or being laughed at
0: or your um, ego or Uh, yeah well that
1: the egos is not good for business um yes and and I dare say for life either um so I, I've tried to avoid that. and it's, Again, um, if I ever find um, that I'm getting a little bit above myself, I've got three children who bring me right back to, into line very quickly.
0: So <laughs> and <laughs> I love that about Australia. <laughs> For some stupid reason, I decided to change the spelling of my name from L-I-L-Y to L-I-L-I. Well, once I came back for a visit to Melbourne just after I'd done this, I got such hell from my <laughs> friends. They started calling me lie-lie and, like, <laughs> really giving it to me. But then you did something even, um, even more Pushing of the envelope, you completely changed the business to vertically integrating, which means you're doing your own designing and manufacturing.
1: Yes, we had um, again. That was a, again that was a family decision that uh, was uh, fantastic. Uh, it was uh, right out there at the time. Not many people were doing that. We set up uh, manufacturing. We became vertical. Um, and uh, that was a, a new process for us. Uh, we also went into wholesaling. So we were designing footwear so, and selling it all over the world. The people all over the world don't, didn't necessarily recognize the name Betts um, and weren't that interested in that, but they liked the footwear. And so we were able to sell all over the world and still doing that. Um, and that's been terrific. What
0: was, what was the reasoning or thinking behind it? Because it is a big step. I think um,
1: the that's look I think it was a natural progression there was you had um, control uh, you had timelines you could design and we had some really talented people in the business and uh, encouraged designs and we were and, and we you see, when you do this you never know whether it's going to be accepted and in fashion retail, you're typically only as good as your last range. And so we had some great people and we wanted to have a go at this and see how we would go. And in the end, a lot of um, our competitors followed suit.
0: Were there Um, risks when you tried to take it on?
1: Yeah, yeah. We ended up, um, uh, you know, as I say, we didn't get it all right on day one, but uh, ultimately you become... um, you become pretty talented at it and good and you and you cut out a lot of costs a lot of middleman costs that get cut out and therefore you can continue to offer your product a really competitive price and and it's your product yeah. you know it's it's uh, so there's a lot of joy in being able to do that and watching what you've designed to sell and, and learning and how to work accepted. with
0: china
1: yeah yeah well working with china is um is not as easy today as what it
0: was um, are you still working with China? we still do a
1: bit in China, but we're much more diversified in what we do. And so, where you do it. And yeah. <coughs> I think um, that's a security issue as much as... Um, the Chinese have got fantastic at quality, um, and we're very good at watching the, the quality of things. But uh, I think just um, it makes sense to diversify as much as possible. Well,
0: I used to be. My family was in the sheepskin shoe business, so moccasins, uggs, boots, first ones to sell to Cart, Target, and Kmart, and all of those places. So your stories of having people in—we manufactured here—but your stories of um, having people sleeping in the factories <laughs> in China <laughs> were more appreciated. That's very nice. Well,
1: in fact, that was more. Um, after um, I morphed, uh, as, as we've mentioned, I, I went into the PPE manufacturing business and that was more with that during COVID getting material in the world was very difficult and uh, it was very expensive. Um, those three ply masks that you refer to, that, that middle layer is uh, it's, it's known as melt blown and it's a very technical piece of um, material that filters out all the bacteria. Um, Or virus, I should say, and that getting that material, good quality material, was not easy. And yes, I did indeed. We we had our people on the ground, um, actually sleeping with the production to make sure no one nicked it.
0: Well, my dad um, was actually born in China, so he (laughs) spoke and read and wrote because he went to university in Harbin. And so I did three or four trips to China with him, and it was he looks European and it was just amazing because he understood everything that was being said.
1: It could be quite uh, handy while you're negotiating, particularly if <laughs> who you're talking to don't know that you speak. Um, yeah, no, that, that's a terrific story. Um, the um, uh, It takes a long time working up there to build trust, and um, uh, so it, it's it. I think my background in working in the footwear industry and dealing in China put us in good stead for when we were look sourcing material for our masks. Um, and uh, now I'm a lot of what we are manufacturing, we're actually using Australian made material, but you can't get it all here. So I still have to look outside of Australia. Um, and, and we're working with people now that are setting up some of the materials that we use are, that aren't available in Australia, within about 18 months they will be. Yep. So, you know, uh, there will come a time when PPE is entirely made in Australia.
0: Yeah, and there's so much other PPE as well. That uh, needs there's gowns, made, yeah.
1: there's booties, there's hats. Everything.
0: Um, um, Andrew, I want to ask you, because I know that giving back is very important to you into other communities. Um, your main project sounds like it's... Um, this project that helps intellectually disabled with housing?
1: So, um, I work, I'm a director uh, of Project Independence. And what we do is we find uh, housing for um, the cohort of um, people with ID, uh, intellectual disability, in the... they have the lowest level of home ownership of um in in the country and uh you know when and in my journey came across you meet people who Mm -hmm. let's say a parent has a child with an id and you know they want to know what's going to happen to my child when i die and when you realize and you're talking to these kids Some of the experiences, some of these kids are living in...
0: um Oh, sorry about that. How do I even...
1: Yeah, I think you're going to have to wait for that. Okay. So what I was saying is that some of these kids are living in nursing homes, in the worst case example. I mean, you've got young children in nursing homes. They're in state housing. And, you know, most of of these kids are... um, And I shouldn't just say kids. It's not just kids. But most of these people... Uh, just absolutely have normal hopes and dreams that you're talking before. about
0: late teens or early twenties or even 30s? E, and
1: older, and older, but living in state housing where all they need is a little bit of support, which they don't have. They're they're surrounded by noise and and it's difficult. And so what we set up was um, a, a mechanism where where um, building housing um for these uh these people to it's a pathway to home ownership so rather than paying a rent they pay a mortgage it all comes out of their disability support pension and we're we're going we're building these we've just um just purchased a a property 13 units in uh grange road in glen Humpley, and uh I'm, i'm quite passionate and we're um we have two hundred people that have uh, registered interest. Wow! We, we we have we will have, you know, thirteen um, potential residents, but the the demand is enormous. So,
0: so is so it just providing the housing, or is it also continuing the relationship when they're in the housing? I with... think that's a
1: yeah, that's a great question. Oh, sorry, I cut you off there, but uh, but yes, that's exactly it. It's a uh, the, the residents are learning um, the skills uh, that they may not get if they're living at home or whatever they get. We, we have a carer in there that's instrumental to the program um, that can help uh, along the way. They're interacting with other people. And, you know, these homes that we build, um, we don't have a big sign out the front Saying you know project independence, we're trying to make it integrate with the local community. So you walk past, you wouldn't know, um, and that's and and of you know course. you don't have a big sign on your house saying you know you live here or whatever. And why should they? So that's what we're trying to do, and it's a, it's quite a unique model because it is based on home ownership. And if if the resident chooses to stay, that's fine. If they want to change the curtains. That's fine, Um, and if they want to leave, when they sell, they keep the capital gains, and that could go towards a uh, future home or whatever. Um, But yeah, but it's it's really sad that um, there's such a demand, and I know there's a lot of great uh, charities out there trying to address in different ways this very issue, and so you know I'm passionate about Project Independence, and um, we're on a journey.
0: Did that come through a personal contact, or you just heard about the project? Yes.
1: Yes. No. 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 We um, uh, we have. Um, so my interest uh, came about is through knowing people, friends that have um, uh, people in this. Uh, yes, because there are
0: quite a few, but they're not spoken about which is why this is also it, so within, interesting. I, I will
1: say within the Jewish community, there's some amazing work. Uh, people like Flying Fox, uh, A- A- I mean, Access, there, there's some wonderful things that uh,
0: the Jewish the really community does. really are happening. Does.
1: And, and that's, that's fantastic.
0: Andrew, we've run out of time. I could talk to you for at least <laughs> another hour. Thank you so much for sharing with us. And um, this huge message that's coming out of this is, just always look on the bright side of life there's always things that you could look at that bring you down but there's always so much more and it's getting used to looking for the things that make you happy
1: embrace the challenge it's great mantra
0: yep the happier you are the happier you are the happier (laughs) you are that's it thank you very much it's
1: been an absolute pleasure and thank you so much for having me my
0: pleasure